How is everybody? How are you moms in the house? How are you guys doing, right? Yeah. Um, so a little bit about our church, if you're new. We don't typically do like Mother's Day lessons or Father's Day lessons. It's not because we don't appreciate moms and dads, but uh, we know that, that Mother's Days and Father's Days aren't always good for everyone, that there are some people that maybe uh, didn't have mothers in their life or maybe they've always wanted to be a mom, but they couldn't. So we don't focus an entire day on that. Uh, but I do want to say in God's infinite wisdom, he knew that men couldn't do what you women do. So we have moms. So you guys are uh, very, very important. And I have a wonderful mother that's probably watching me right now in St. Louis. And uh, I keep joking with her. I'm like, hey, you got to find a church up there. And she's like, I, I do. I watch you every single week. And I'm like, okay, mom. So, uh, but uh, she's probably watching right now. But Call your mom today, thank your mom today. Uh, if you've ever seen a woman go through labor, they don't have to do anything else for us after that. They've already done enough. So uh, you gotta call your mom and tell her thanks. So um, anyways, glad you guys are here. Let me tell you a funny story too, because you're the 11 o'clock and we just have infinite amounts of time, right? So uh, I was up and no one ever laughs when I say that, but... Um, <laughs> I was up in New England uh, this last week and I took Andrew and Sarah and Emily that work here and we were working with our churches that we work with up there. And, and just this is just a fun story, I just wanna tell you. You might not think it's funny, but I thought it was. So my wife and I have never had cable television. So when I stay in a hotel, I'm fascinated with cable television. I'm like, there's just so much garbage that you can flip through, right? And there are 800 channels and just goes on forever and 45 of them are in Spanish and I even hang on those for a while, right? And I'm like, look at all this stuff. And so we're in uh, Burlington, Vermont one day, and we're, we're working all day and come back to our hotel, that, which is in New Hampshire. And we're staying in New Hampshire, and, and um, Andrew and I are both in our room. I had to clarify this last night. I said we were, we were lying down watching TV, and I'm like, I we were in separate beds, right? He's married, I'm married. Anyway, so, uh, but we're lying there, and it's like 12, 15 at night, and I'm flipping through the channels, because I'm just, again, I'm fascinated, right? And I come across this show uh, my 600-pound life? Yeah. yeah. Never heard of this show. And um, I typically judge people who watch shows like that, but I just couldn't change the channel. And I'm watching this. It's 12, 15 at night. I mean, my eyes are about to, I mean, like I'm about to pass out and I'm watching this and I just get enthralled with it. And I watch like 40 minutes and Andrew's telling me about the show and I'm watching this. And I'm like, this is fascinating. And I'm like, hey, like how much longer is this, like this episode? And he goes, oh, there's still two more hours. And he goes, do you want me to turn the TV off? And I was like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess. But I was like, can you Google and find out what happens to Angie? I want to make sure she hits her weight loss goals. And There's just a window on how lame my life is, guys. There you go. So uh, when I was up in New England, I just want to tell you guys, when I'm away from this church, I really miss this church. And I think we forget sometimes. We have a, th this is a really unique thing that we have going on here, and uh, we're really, really blessed. And I missed you guys, and I was happy to be back. And Greg did a fantastic job last week, and I, he did. He did a great job. And I was here. <laughs> I was here at all four services. I was just kind of like creeping in the shadows watching you guys from a distance, you know, like making sure you're being good Christians. So, uh, <laughs> but I was here, but he did a fantastic job. So, Anyways, if you're new to the church, we're in a book called 1 John. It's towards the back of your Bible. I think it's the fifth to the last book of the New Testament, so it's way back towards the back. And I've kind of fallen in love with this book of the Bible because it's just 
remarkably black and white, very straightforward, um, very to the point. And the point that, that, that uh, was kind of made last week that Greg was talking about where chapter two ends is that we can have confidence that we're truly following Christ by how we live. Very simple, right? If we're keeping the commands of Christ, if we regard the commands of Christ, we can be confident that we are Christians. So I'm gonna kind of piggyback on that idea a little bit. I'm gonna do chapter three today, and we'll get through it relatively quick because it's very straightforward. But here's what we're gonna talk about. That we will know we're true Christians because there will be fruit of us being Christians. And there are three things in particular that we're gonna focus on. True Christians should have solid doctrine. We should have genuine love for God and people. And we should consistently be obedient to the commands of Christ. Very, very straightforward, simple stuff. And we'll go through this chapter and we'll wrap right back around to that idea. Okay, that's not Savut, but it does look like him from a distance, doesn't it? Anyways, if you have your Bible, we're in the very back of the Bible, the fifth to the last book. You should have got a notes handout when you walked in. It has everything I'm going to say in there. Everything should be on the screens. If you have the Experience Community app, sermon notes. No, I'm sorry, service time, sermon notes. Everything should be there and we should be in pretty good shape, okay? All right, so I'm gonna get through this, then you guys can go call your moms, take them out to lunch, thank them for all they've done for you, and um, hope we can enjoy the rest of our weekend, okay? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We wanna tell you thank you, God. Um, Lord, thank you for everyone in this room. Thank you for such a great group of, of just people, God. Uh, Lord, we make mistakes. We're not there yet, God, but we're working on it, Lord. And I just thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room and thank you for this church, God. I pray that everything we do today, Lord, that it sharpens us and edifies us. I pray that everything we do today honors you and makes you proud. We pray for every church in our community. God, we pray for every church outside of our community, Father. Other states, other countries, Lord. And we pray, God, that we can just bring your kingdom to earth, God, and, and be the feet and the hands that you want us to be, Lord. God, keep your hand on me as I teach, Lord. I pray that everything that comes out of my mouth is accurate and honors you. And Lord, we just thank you for our moms and we thank you for this day and pray, God, that we can rest a little bit today and enjoy our, our time with you and with uh, the people around us that we love. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. I got this sinus thing going on too. You guys ever done Afrin? I went, you don't have to admit that, it's not like a, but uh I went to a pharmacy in New Hampshire and I was like, what's the strongest thing you have for decongestion? They pointed me to Afrin and the pharmacist failed to tell me that it feels like you're shoving a sword up your nose when you do Afrin. I did two quick hits and I was like, my God, it opens up, but it hurts. So uh, it has nothing to do with what we're gonna do here. Okay, here we, here we go. John, <laughs> John says, see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sin, and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. 
Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's work. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one that does not love their brother or sister. So what John here does, right, what he, what he does right off the bat is two things. One, he makes it clear who we are. We are God's children, okay? We belong to God. He also makes it clear that God's children won't always be treated well by the world because the world doesn't know God. And so we will not be treated well, and we shouldn't be shocked by that. Christ wasn't treated very well, right? So we're also not going to be treated well by the culture of the world. Now that brings up, we're going to bring up a lot of problems in modern day Christianity from this chapter. The first one we see is this. Christianity keeps trying to fit into a culture that Jesus himself said would always deny us. We keep trying to act like the world, and the Bible says that we're not to act like the world. We're to be countercultural. We're to be different from the world. The world leads to destruction. That's not where Jesus takes us. But Christianity keeps trying to fit in. We keep trying to be accepted, and the Bible makes it clear we're not going to be. And that's okay. We don't want to go that direction. Paul says that true Christians will never be conformed to the pattern of the world. We're supposed to look different. We're supposed to act different. We're supposed to have a different trajectory than what the world's culture goes. And our potential hasn't even been fully revealed yet. Now listen, when we give our lives to Christ, we start to change. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about a young couple that I've been extremely impressed with that have come and they've been obedient and God has just absolutely transformed them. They're walking down the right road and that happens with us. When we give our lives to Christ, Christ starts to change us. That's a great thing. We make significant changes. But even when we're making these significant strides, we don't even comprehend just how far God wants to take us. But if we can begin to understand that God loves us, that God has a plan for us, that God wants good things for us, if we can even start to understand that, we will start to purify ourselves because we want to be pure like God is pure. So if we start to understand how much God loves us, we start to want to do better. We start to want to change more into the image of Christ. But when we sin... We do the opposite of that. I love how John phrases sin. He calls it lawlessness. So when we break God's commands, we're breaking God's law, listen, and we're acting out of character for who we're supposed to be. When we sin, we start moving towards chaos. We start moving towards destruction. And that is not the way God wants us to go. We hurt ourselves and we hurt other people in the process. What that means is this. When we become followers of Jesus, we have to deal with our sin. We have to deal with the things that we are doing that are contrary 
to what God wants us to do. Now, here's the beauty in this. God gives us his Holy Spirit because it empowers us to move beyond a lifestyle of sin. So we're going to address some bad terminology in the Christian world. This may be the slide I'm going to get most passionate about today. I am sick and tired of Christians constantly stating that we are broken sinners. We are not broken sinners. According to Colossians 2 and Romans chapter 6, our old nature has been killed and we live in a new nature. And that nature is a nature that moves away from sin. That does not mean we're perfect, but what it means is when we keep saying we're broken sinners, God has come to fix and forgive us. He's also come to empower us so we can move beyond a lifestyle of sin. For the true Christian, sin is an abnormality. It is not our identity. It is not our lifestyle. It, sh it should be something that bothers us. So when we do sin, there should be remorse. It should feel like it's not in character for us. And we should go back to Christ and say, Father, forgive me, and he will. So don't walk around saying, I'm just a sinner. No, 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 no. According to the Bible, you have been redeemed from that, purchased from that, brought out of death into life. We need to change our terminology. The Bible does not claim that you have two natures. You had an old nature that is dead, Romans chapter six, and you have a new nature that is alive. And that new nature is in Christ Jesus. Now, after saying all that, we still have an enemy, right? We still, ha we still have our flesh to contend with. And though we have adopted a new nature, we still have flesh that we war with, that gravitates towards sin. It gravitates towards materialism and lust and greed and all of these things. But it's when we give in to that temptation that we have a lifestyle of sin. So there's no sin in temptation. The sin comes when we give ourselves over and we rebel against God. So John says it's obvious if you're a child of God, you're going to act more like God. If you're a child of the devil, you're going to act more like the devil. This is how we know who belongs to who. Do you live in the sinful lifestyle or do you live in a life that overcomes the sinful lifestyle? That's how you will know. That's how it will become obvious what camp you fall into. Now, what's going on is this. There are two different opposing plans for every single one of you in this room. The devil has a plan for you. The Bible talks about this in John chapter 10. His plan is to steal, kill, destroy. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to steal your joy and contentment. He wants to kill you metaphorically, spiritually, literally. He wants bad things for you. There's an opposing plan to Satan's plan. That is God's plan. In the book of Jeremiah, it says it's a good plan. It's a plan for your welfare, for your well-being, for your contentment, for your prosperity. And I don't mean that in a prosperity gospel way, but for you to prosper as a human. That's God's plan. So the question we have to ask is every decision we make, is it falling into Satan's plan for my life or is it falling into God's plan for my life? Okay? All right, moving on. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another, unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. 
And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not remain, I'm sorry, the one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. So John says we should love one another unlike Cain. Well, that's obvious, right? You shouldn't murder your sibling. That's terrible. But that's not really what it's talking about. It's talking about a step before murder. Murder, literal murder, begins with things like resentment, jealousy, a disregard for doing what is right. Not only that, Jesus said in the gospel that if we hate other people, it's the equivalent of murder, right? And so all the people said, well, Jesus, we've never killed anyone, but he says, but you've hated people. And I look at that just the same as murder. It is just as bad. So God forgives murder. I'm talking literal murder. I have personally known people who I believe will be in heaven one day who have committed murder. I've, been on, I've sat on death row and had lunch with death row inmates, people who I think have genuinely repented who will go to heaven. God can forgive literal murder if we confess it and if we ask for God to forgive us. Now, very few of us, I hope, will commit literal murder. But I would dare say a lot of us in this room have committed spiritual murder where we have harbored hatred in our hearts. Now the beauty is, is God can forgive us as well. That we can ask for God's forgiveness, we can confess these hard feelings towards people, and we can let God deal with the hatred in our hearts, but we must address it. We must ask God to forgive us of that. But here's the thing with loving other people. Though we are called to love other people, loving other people does not save our souls. It's good to love others. I believe we can only completely love other people the right way if Jesus Christ is in our heart. But whenever people say, well, they were just a really good person, we have to define good person because we all look pretty good compared to Joseph Stalin, right? We all look pretty good compared to Adolf Hitler or Anton LaVey or some kind of serial killer. We all look pretty good compared to that. But whenever we take our goodness and compare it to God's goodness, we all look pretty bad. The Bible says like filthy rags. So it is not by our level or standard of goodness that we get into heaven. It is by a relationship with Christ that we get into heaven. Now that being said, social justice is a good thing. Jesus told us to feed the poor. He told us to clothe the naked. He told us to visit, visit those in prison. We should do that. But it is only a love for God that can save our souls. And a proper love for other people will share the gospel with them. Listen, 
We can feed every hungry person in Rutherford County. We can clothe every person that doesn't have adequate clothing in Rutherford County. But if we do not share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, we're doing the greatest disservice we can possibly do. We'll have a bunch of fat, well-clothed people on their way to eternal damnation. We must share the love of Christ. If I had the choice of giving you food, bread, literal bread, or the bread of life, a relationship with Christ, I'm gonna choose the bread of life every single time. It is more important. So we need to do social justice, but we must follow that up with the truth and knowledge about Jesus Christ. And so John says, how do we know love? We know love because we know the cross. The cross is the most vivid example, the furthest extreme of love, that the Son of God would die for a bunch of ragtag sinners, right? That even while he knew we were sinning, that he would die for us. So because we see what Jesus has done for us, we are able to lay down our lives for the people around us. And so the reason why knowing the cross helps us love other people is when we understand that Jesus would die even when we were addicted to porn. Jesus would die for us even when we were cheating on our spouse or lying or being materialistic or greedy or whatever the case may be that when people offend us, we show them grace because we've been shown grace. That when people do things wrong around us, when people are destructive or hurtful, we were once destructive and hurtful, but God loved us so much that he gave his only son. So we are therefore to, to, to pass that love along, to pass that grace along. Like I said, the social gospel is important, but we have to have proper motives and it has to be a means of sharing the truth. So John is not advocating that we don't tell people the gospel. When he says not in word or speech, but in action, right, in truth, he's not advocating that we don't share the Bible or point out sin. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if we're ever going to have the opportunity to tell people about Jesus, we must first live like followers of Jesus. Here's the thing. You will never be able to invite the people in your office place to church if you're known as the gossip. It's not going to work. You're not gonna be able to get someone into, into a relationship with the loving God if you hate minority groups or hate people different than you or hate people of other religions or hate people with other ideologies or lifestyles. We will not introduce people into a religion based on love if we don't love. So in order to use word, in order to use speech, we must first earn the right to speak into people's life. We must first be good neighbors, good employees, good friends, good coworkers, whatever the case may be. We must earn that right, okay? All right, last part. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. Okay, let me pause here for a second. If you're, if you're one of those people that marks in your Bible or highlights or write things down, you should take note of this, this very simple phrase. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now, this is his command. 
that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another as he has commanded us. Those who keep his commands remain in him and he in them. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. So not only do we know that we belong to the truth by how we live, our actions, our lifestyle, our character, not only will, be, will we be reassured that we have a relationship with Christ by how we live, we will have confidence when we have a relationship with Christ. Here's why we need confidence. You are going to fall short of God's standards. The Bible says that. We will all fall short. Not only will you fall short of God's standards, you will fall short of your standards. You will set a precedent, right? Any of you who tried to go on a diet, right? We all fall short consistently all the time. We all fall short. And when we do, what happens is condemnation comes on us. Now, here's the thing about condemnation. Condemnation is never from God. It may be from others. It may be from yourself. It may be from Satan. But condemnation never comes from God. The reason we know condemnation never comes from God is John chapter 3 says God came to save us from condemnation. Now, God convicts us. God teaches us, but he does not condemn us. The way that God saves us from condemnation, this is so important, is God delivers us from sin and he forgives us of sin. Here's another piece of bad theology that has crept its way into the church. So many churches pray against shame and guilt. I hate shame and guilt. I don't want you to live in shame and guilt. Shame and guilt are a byproduct of sin. We keep praying for the symptom when we need to pray about the sickness. The sickness is sin. And so if we can address the sin, and if we can confess our sin and ask God to forgive us of our sin, the shame and the guilt naturally go with it. We find peace and we find rest by confessing our failures and knowing that God knew we were gonna do those things, still loved us, still forgave us. That's how we find peace. That's how we find rest. That's how we find confidence. And we move away from trusting our deceitful heart and we start trusting God instead. Regardless of what Disney tells you, don't follow your heart. It's bad advice. Every time we watch a Disney movie, and I'm not anti-Disney, but every time we watch a Disney movie and they have some song about following your heart, I always lean over, girls, you know that's bad advice. They're like, yes, dad, we don't follow our hearts. Anyways, the reason why we don't follow our heart is in Jeremiah chapter 17, it says your heart is deceptive. If you follow your heart, you're gonna cheat on your spouse. If you follow your heart, you're gonna become materialistic, you're gonna become greedy, you're gonna get into debt up to your eyeballs because you want things and you follow your emotions. Listen, your emotions are wonderful servants, they are horrible masters. They are to follow you, you are not to follow them. Don't follow your heart, your emotions. Not only will your heart trick you, it will condemn you. It will make you feel bad. But if we choose to follow God instead of our heart, if we choose to follow the Holy Spirit in us versus our heart, we escape condemnation. We receive confidence, not in us, confidence in God in us. 
The reason why we don't have confidence in us, I don't know if anyone else in this room, I can look around and I know some of you personally and you would agree with me. If it was up to Corey Trimble's heart, I would go in a very bad direction. But because of the Holy Spirit in me, me acknowledging there is nothing good inside of Corey Trimble apart from Christ's spirit in me. When we have God's spirit in us, there is good in us, but it's not us, it's God. And with Christ and following the Holy Spirit in us, we can be what God wants us to be. We can be what God has designed us to be. But if, we, if you ever hear people say, there's good in you, there is no good in you apart from Jesus Christ in you. That's what is good in us, right? And when we're walking with God, here's where some more bad theology creeps in. When we're walking with God, John says we receive whatever we ask. Corey, I told you that secret book was right on, right? If I just focus on that Ferrari long enough, it's gonna be in my driveway. I haven't met that person yet, tried it myself, right? It's just, it doesn't happen, right? But whenever people say, well, even a bunch of bad theologians and prosperity gospel people and name it, claim it people say, look, it says in the Bible, if we just ask for whatever we want, we get it. That's not what John means. Do you know what John means here? John means that we receive whatever we ask for when we are walking in alignment with God's will. When we have a relationship with God, what happens is this. When we have a relationship with God, we start to think like God. And when we start to think like God, we start to ask for things that God wants us to have. And when we ask for the things that God wants us to have, he gives us to him. He gives us those things. So a Ferrari, a quarter of a million dollar car, probably wouldn't be good for me. It probably wouldn't be good for some of you. Maybe that six-figure income wouldn't be good for some of you because you can't handle your money right. Maybe God knows better than we do. And he knows what's good for us and not, what's not good for us. But when we ask for things in his will, it is God's will that you have a good marriage. You can confidently ask. If both spouses pray to God to give them a good marriage, he will give you that because that is in alignment with his will. If we pray for things that are in alignment with his will, we get those things. James, the brother of Jesus, said, the prayers of a righteous person avail much. The reason why they avail much is not because God loves the righteous more than the unrighteous necessarily, but when we are righteous, we are asking for the things that God wants us to have. That's why those prayers are more effective. So if your prayers don't seem to ever get answered, maybe we are not praying in alignment with God's will. Maybe we are not righteous. And so God is not answering those things because they're not in alignment with his will. John also says, to be fruitful, we have to do two things. I don't know if you guys know this, this entire Bible can be summed up in two very simple statements. Love God, love people. But because people are so dense, we need this entire book to tell us two simple things. Love God, love people. Jesus said it, John repeats him right here. And if we love God, and if we love people, we have the Holy Spirit in us and we will know that we are following God. We know that we are remaining in Jesus by the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. So to know if the Spirit is in us, guys, there will be fruit of that Spirit. It's like if you walk up to a plot of land and you go, have any trees been planted here? Well, if you see a tree, then yes, there is a product of a seed that has been planted. If you're curious as to what kind of tree that is, if it has apples on it, it's an apple tree. 
It has bananas on it. It's a banana tree. Jesus said you will know a tree by its fruit. So when we say we are Christians, if we say that we are Christians, there should be visible fruit of our relationship with God. And so John says the same thing. You'll know you're a Christian by the Spirit that produces fruit. If you want to know the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, there's your homework. Then you will see that fruit working through you. You will see it affecting the people around you. And it is the proof. It is the proof of how we live. 68% of the United States says they are followers of Jesus Christ. 68%. Do you believe that to be true? The highest church attending state in the United States is Mississippi, and it's only 44%. The math doesn't add up. 68% of the United States claims to follow Jesus, and the most church state of all 50, Mississippi, only 44% go to any kind of house of worship. These things don't add up. It's just like the prophet Isaiah said, our mouths are close to God, but our hearts are far away. It's not about what we say we are. It's about the evidence that comes from our lifestyle. It's not just in our word and speech. It's by our action. It's by truth. It is by results of the Holy Spirit in us. I'm gonna focus on three things, okay? I said it at the beginning, I'm gonna go back in detail. If the Holy Spirit is in us, how we know we remain in him, is first we have sound doctrine. I know the word doctrine scares some people. But doctrine is just simply living out good theology. Now listen, not that I have anything against different contributors and, and, and people who have written about the Bible. There are many of them that I read and respect highly. But listen, your theology should come from this book. That means, ladies and gentlemen, you have to start reading this thing. Well, Corey, I'm just not a reader. Work at becoming one. You need to read this. Even if it's just a chapter a day, pick up the book of Matthew and just read a chapter every day. It'll take you five minutes. Well, I'm busy, Corey. You watched six hours of Netflix, right? Watch five hours and take just a little bit of time. Do it in the morning. Listen, on your way to work, you can get the YouVersion app. It will read you the Word of God. I would prefer you actually read it for yourself, but that's great. Hear it on your way to work. Buy a translation. People ask me all the time, Corey, what is the best translation? My response is always the same. The one that you will read. Get that one and read it. I don't care if it's the flippant comic book version of this book. Buy it and read it and learn sound theology. Things like why repentance is important why baptism is important, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We need to know what, what sin is, what is right, and what is wrong. Pick up that book. We are so blessed. There are people in, in foreign countries who lay down their lives just to get a copy of this book. You can go to Barnes & Noble and find 18 different versions in 12 different colors, different styles, study Bibles. Please get one of these and start reading your Bible. If we have the Holy Spirit in us, there should be a desire to learn more about our husband, God. That should be in us, okay? Sound doctrine. 
Another result of the Holy Spirit is genuine love. We have to genuinely love God. If we start to even begin a little bit uh, to, to understand what the cross is, that God would give his only son to die for you and I when we were at our worst. The creator of the universe wants to talk to you. Pray. If you genuinely love God, you should want to pray. I'm not talking about three hours on your face speaking in tongues. If you do that, that's fine. But I'm talking 15 minutes in the morning. God, I just need you today. I, I, I want to tell you about all the things that are going on. I need your help. I love you. Just talking with him. Not only a genuine love for God, the Holy Spirit in us should produce a genuine love for people. I got a couple of minutes. Let me tell you a quick story. So I'm in Salem, Massachusetts, and I've been outside of this building a couple of times. It's the first time I've been inside it. I went inside the, I went inside the uh, Satanic Temple there, the headquarters for the, the Satanic Temple. You have to pay to go in. There was five of us, so I had to use my debit card, my church card. <laughs> I thought whenever Julia, our accountant, sees that roll through, that'll be, that'll be humorous. But I pay to go in the Satanic Temple, walk around, look at all the art, look at everything I'm reading up on. It's just in, an, in a big old house in Salem, Massachusetts. And I, I talked to the curator for about, man, about 30 minutes. We sat and talked. And a nice guy, a little bit younger than me, I'm 39. He, I think he said he was 34, 35 years old. And we just got to talking. Asking him about, there was a split between the original Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple. It's two different denominations of Satanism and how that came about and got to ask him questions. And it was about halfway through the conversation. It hit me that I, I genuinely care for this guy. I love this guy. He couldn't be more diametrically opposed on everything. I'm a pastor of a Christian church. He's the curator for the Satanic Temple, right? We are two very different individuals on every spectrum. But as I looked at him and I heard him talk and he's telling me all about the founders and what they do and all this different stuff, it hit me that I care for this man. Not because I agree with him, but because he is made in the image of the same God that I serve. He doesn't even believe in the God that I serve, but he's made in the image of that God and I'm called by my God to love him. And what bothered me, and I got to thinking about it a lot, is the majority of the Christian world would rather fight that man than love him. And the whole time we're talking, it crossed my mind, I'd love to have this guy go out to lunch with us. I'd love to have coffee with him and hear about his life and how did he end up being the curator for the satanic temple. And though we didn't agree on anything, he represents an eternal soul. Remember that the next time you watch the news and hate the Muslims in your community. Remember that the next time you see things about the LGBT community and you hate these people for being different. Remember that the next time you look at the atheist or the Mormon or people that disagree with us on every level. I'm not asking you to condone things that are contrary to that book. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you to start looking at people like they are people, not problems, not enemies. And even if they are your enemy, let me quote our Savior, love those that persecute you, pray for your enemies. That's what Christ tells us to do. 
that we are to have a genuine love and affection for even the most radical fringe of our society. Now listen, that does not come naturally. It must come supernaturally. That means we must ask God to fill us with his spirit and let his spirit come through us because I don't naturally just want to hang out with someone like that. But because of the Holy Spirit in me, God helps, helps put a filter in front of my eyes to see the potential in that man, to see what he could be if he would give his life to Christ. It's men like that, women like that, that if they were to come over to our side, would flip this world up on its ear. Remember that. Remember that. We must have a genuine love for people. We must also be consistently obedient. Listen, you're going to make mistakes. It's not that you're going to make mistakes. It's that when we have a disregard for God's commands, when we make a mistake, we have to genuinely go back. We have to feel remorse for making those mistakes, and we need to go back to our Father, ask for His forgiveness, and the beauty of a relationship with Christ is He will forgive you, and He'll put you back on track. But we have to be obedient we will know we are in him, according to John, if we keep his commands and do what he tells us to do. John repeatedly says through this book of the Bible that our lifestyles either prove our claim to follow Christ or disprove our claim to follow Christ. On a separate note, let me tell you this as an encouragement. If you will be obedient to the word, if you will be obedient to what God tells us to do, I absolutely promise you God will bless your life at the risk of embarrassing people in this room right now. I have seen people who have come, and, have come so broken into this church, but because they have been obedient, not to me, not to the church, but obedient to what the Lord has told them to do, I have seen God absolutely transform people. God blesses your obedience. If you will submit to him, if you will give God all of yourself, God will make something out of you that you would never think would be possible. God will absolutely transform your marriage, your children, your relationships, your work ethic, your attitude, your demeanor, how you speak, how you live. He will absolutely transform you, but you have to give him all of you. Complete obedience. If you will humble yourself and submit to him, God takes even the most broken people and does absolutely amazing things. Absolutely amazing things. Look at Moses. Look at David. Look at Paul. All throughout the Bible. Look at Mary, demonically possessed prostitute, one of Jesus' best friends. Look at what he does. If you're in this room and you have not maybe gotten the results that you've wanted, Maybe there's a part of yourself that you still haven't given over to Christ. And God's saying, if you just trust me with all of you, I would do something pretty magnificent with you. Will you guys bow your heads, please? Three things I want you to think about this morning. Do you have solid doctrine? I'm not talking about Baptist or Church of Christ or I'm talking about the Bible. Have you gotten into the Word of God? 
I'm not asking you to read that whole thing overnight. Man, it's a, it's a big book. But start. Start somewhere. Read a little bit. A chapter a, de, a day. A devotional. Something. Get into the Word. Do you have a genuine love for the Lord? To where even if you don't understand what God tells you to do, you love Him so much that you're going to follow. Do you genuinely love God? Do you genuinely love people? Do you love that person that is the complete opposite of you politically? Do you love that person that is the complete opposite of you religiously? Do you love that person that may even be hateful to you? Do we have empathy? Do we have sympathy? Do we love other people? Are we obedient to God? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Now listen, that doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect. You're gonna mess up. But when we mess up, we go back to the Father. And we say, God, I messed up. And you know what he says to us? I knew you were gonna mess up. I died on the cross knowing you were gonna mess up. I love you, I forgive you. And he puts us right back on track. If you're in this room and you have struggled with any of these things we've talked about today, good news, God is gracious. <laughs> There's communion all the way around us. Everyone is welcome to take that. I know you guys are in a hurry, but please take communion today. We can remember the body and blood of Christ died for us, loves us. If you're in here today and maybe you're new, maybe you have questions, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe your mom swindled you in to be in here today. If you have any questions or if you're curious, Dave is up here to my right, your left. He's at the front of the stage. He's one of our pastors. If you have any questions, please talk to Dave. There's also men and women on both sides of the stage. If you have a, a, a mundane thing you need prayer or if you have something catastrophic, do not go at this alone. You have men and women who would love to pray with you, love to, to hold hands with you and, and agree with you and pray with you. Father, Lord, we love you. God, I can't even begin to tell you how much I love this church and how much I love the people in this church. Father, keep your hand on us, God. Protect us. Lord, we have all fallen short. We've all been rebellious. We've all, Lord, for the lack of better words, we've all screwed up, God. But Father, you don't intend to keep us in our mistakes. You don't intend to keep us on that track, Lord. You have another lifestyle for us. You have another nature for us. God, you have another path and design for us. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for grace. Thank you for taking us down a different direction, God, of life and love and light. Lord, protect us until we meet together again, Lord. Give us wisdom and knowledge and fill us up with your spirit so we can love the way we're supposed to. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself.